0: Tonight we'll find out about the oldest and most persistent lie ever told. It's called the Big Original. We will discover how it relates to what happens a split second after the end of time.
1: Welcome to the End of Time series. My name is Charissa Tarosian and I'm really excited that you have chosen to come back and join us for week two of this exciting series. Don't worry if you missed last week. All of the previous presentations are on our website and YouTube channel Facebook page. You can catch up. And by the way, while I say it, please give us a like on Facebook or our YouTube channel so that you know when we go live next. Tonight we are coming to you live from the east coast of Australia and in just a few moments we're going to hear a fascinating presentation from Lyle. But before we do, I want you to know that you will have the opportunity to ask him questions because right now, if you're watching on our YouTube channel, Facebook page or maybe you're even listening on the radio, those of you online, I should say, you can actually comment on the live stream as it comes to you and we have moderators fielding your questions, they're going to send them to me here so that I can put them to Lyle when it comes to that part of our program. And so, remember that as you listen to this presentation. Enjoy.
0: All prophets will arise and deceive many. Nation will rise against nation. There will be droughts, pandemics and earthquakes. When these things begin to happen, Look up and lift up your heads, because your redemption is near. The Bible begins with perfection. A happy couple, fresh from the Creator's hand, enjoying all the good things in a beautiful garden. But it doesn't last long at all. Adam and Eve were created to love and be loved, and as such, they had to have the power of choice for it is the power of choice that creates the possibility of love. Unfortunately, they exercised that power of choice to believe a lie, told to them by Satan, the great adversary of God, who had once been one of his highest and most powerful angels, but had rebelled. On the entire planet, he had access to only one spot, one tree, and Adam and Eve had been warned to stay away from that tree. The record states... Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die. That's Genesis 3, 1-4. And with that one simple lie, you shall not surely die, or as some translate it, you shall not really die, Satan began his attack on the human race. He told a lie that he's been telling ever since, and nothing he has said has been more successful. Let's take a moment to trace its history from the ancient past to our day. Probably the most understood of all beliefs in the afterlife comes to us from Egypt. This is due to a combination of a dry climate with almost 0% humidity which preserved everything, the practice of mummification and the fact that they like to send their dead off to the next life with a long and detailed set of instructions called the Book of the Dead. The Egyptians, it seemed, seems, would begin preparing for death almost as soon as they were born and then spend their entire life preparing for their afterlife. They had probably the longest and most detailed burial procedures of any ancient culture. They considered the person to be made up of three elements, the ba, the car, and the ark. The ba was the personality, the ka the vital essence, and the ark was the intellect. A person died when the ka, the vital essence, left the body. When the body was buried, the mouth was opened to release the ba, the personality, so that it could join the ka, the vital essence, in the afterlife. When the vital essence and the personality combined, they would reanimate the ark, the intellect, forming a new kind of person. Because the bar, the car, and the ark were immaterial, the body, because they were immaterial, the let me just see where we are up to here, the body had to be preserved so that the judges of the underworld could recognize who the person was that was coming to them and judge accordingly. In early Egyptian dynasties, only the pharaohs would be mummified. But that later came to include the wealthy, until by the Greek era, mummification was available to everyone, with three price levels on offer. This resulted in a huge industry developing around the mummification process. The body was first gutted and all the organs except the heart were mummified separately separately. The body was next washed in corn wine. The brain was removed through the nose. A special tool was inserted to liquefy the brain so that it could be poured out. Then the body was placed in natron, a mixture of sodium carbonate decahydrate and sodium bicarbonate. It was left there for one and a half months to dehydrate. The extremely high salt content in the natron stopped bacterial growth and preserved the body. The body was then buried and the mouth was opened to release the bar so that it could find the car and form the ark. That could then be judged. Included with the body and the burial were detailed instructions on how to survive the afterlife. In the early kingdoms, these would be written on the inside of the coffin or the tomb walls. But in later kingdoms, a long and much more detailed book would be included in the tomb to guide the person through the next life. This book was to help them to avoid demons and become united with angels. The Book of the Dead contained magic spells and special ornaments to protect the ark from demons it would encounter. Other useful implements that may have been required were placed in the tomb, including large collections of shabti. These small statues were to act as minions or servants to the deceased in the afterlife and were prepared to perform any kind of work although most of the time they carried a hoe and a basket for agricultural labour. Beginning in the 12th century AD, all kinds of superstitions became attached to Egyptian mummies. Seeing the stupendous monuments that these civilisations left behind, it was assumed that the ancient Egyptians were a long-lived super race and snake oil salesmen would grind up mummies to sell what was called mummy powder. This was passed off as a cure for all kinds of ailments, as well as an aphrodisiac it produced a thriving business for poverty-stricken Egyptians who would dig up and sell mummies to gullible Westerners. When supplies ran short in Europe and the trade was eventually banned in the 16th century, enterprising apocrypharies created their own mummies from local cadavers from which they would continue to supply mummy powder. As recently as 1924, mummy powder was listed in the catalogue of the multinational pharmaceutical company Merck. False teachings always end up degrading humanity, and the Egyptians are a good example. Because they believed Satan's lie that they would not surely die, they lived their lives focused on their death. Due to the large number of Egyptian mummies available for study, the University of Manchester was able to do autopsies on over 3,000 of them. The results were startling. Rather than being a long-lived super Ace, these people lived short, stunted lives on refined food and died painful death deaths from lifestyle diseases like cancer, heart disease and diabetes. So common in Western society today. A different version of Satan's lie took hold in India with the idea of reincarnation. This is the concept that a person never dies, but instead simply inhabits another body at the time of death. It primarily exists today in the teachings of Hinduism, Buddhism, and Jainism, although it's been found in many tribal religions as well. While there are many variations to reincarnation, the basic idea is that humans are given life so that they can develop good karma. Enough good karma from doing good works then results in a higher existence in the next life. While people who do bad things accumulate bad karma, and are sent to lower forms of life, such as scorpions or snakes. The idea in most forms of reincarnation is to achieve enough goodness to break out of the cycle and become a god or to reach nirvana. Most tribal religions of the world have a form of either reincarnation or immortal spirits, or a blend of both. Animism, spirit worship, ancestor worship are common ideas that are expressed in a multitude of different ways, too many to list. In contrast to all these, the Bible describes God as the King of kings and Lord of lords who only has immortality. That's 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 15 and 16. Note the key word, only. He is the only one who has natural immortality. In Europe, most ancient Greeks believed that the dead were condemned to an existence living as a disembodied dead soul in Hades. Unfortunately for them, if the person died as a result of a traumatic injury, they would carry that injury with them for eternity. If they died of old age, they would live as an aged person in Hades. It was definitely not something to look forward to. An exception were those who fought in the Trojan or Theban Wars. These were believed to have continued living either on the islands of the blessed, heaven, in the ocean, or just under the surface of the ground. Other variations of this myth claim that some of these heroes, such as Achilles, were physically resurrected and achieved immortal bodies where they continued to live as gods. Plato, on the other hand, proposed that, rather than living as a dead soul with all the infirmities that had caused the person's death, that humans possessed an immortal soul that was completely free from the body and and thus was free from any past traumas or age. Plato was a pagan and formed the philosophy that exists today at the foundation of a lot of modern witchcraft. As such, he taught the dualistic nature of the universe. This concept was based on the observation of opposites. Where there is up, there is down. Where there is black, there is white. Where there is day, there is night. Where there is light, there is darkness, etc. He argued that because a physical body existed of necessity, there must be a non-physical soul as its opposite. He believed this was proved by the fact that physical creatures are born with instincts that for him could only come from a Non physical soul that pre existed the body. Furthermore, he believed that if the body was mortal, its opposite must therefore be immortal. Judaism, of course, was quite different in its approach. The concept of an immortal soul separate to the body is not found in the Torah or the entire Tanakh, that's the Hebrew Bible. This was an idea that did not exist in the Jewish religion until the Persian and Greek influences during the period between the Old and New Testaments, often called the Intertestamental Period. The Hebrew Bible, instead of teaching an immortal soul, teaches a bodily resurrection from the grave at the return of Christ. A great example of this would be Daniel chapter 12, 1-3. "'At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of your people,' There will be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation, even to that same time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone that shall be found written in the book. And many of those that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. The beliefs of Martha, the student of Jesus, are a great illustration of this teaching when she proclaimed that her brother that proclaimed that her brother Lazarus, who had died, shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. John chapter 11, verse 24. Clearly, she found comfort in the resurrection at the end of time, rather than the concept of her brother being in the presence of God at the moment. This, of course, was the teaching that was repeated by Jesus and aligns with the Garden of Eden experience. You see, If the soul is truly immortal, then it was Satan and not God who was speaking the truth in the garden at the beginning. For it was Satan who said, you shall not really die, whereas it is God who says the wages of sin is death. The reality is you can't have both. For how do you have a resurrection if you're already alive? And what purpose would a resurrection serve for a living person? If we never really die, then please explain to me, how was Satan wrong in the Garden of Eden? When as Christians we repeat the philosophy of Plato regarding the immortality of the side, whose side are we actually taking? Are we taking the side of Jesus who said, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth? those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done evil to the resurrection of damnation. That's John chapter 5, verse 28 and 29. Notice that Jesus says the dead are in their graves until that moment after the end of time when he calls the dead back to life. The mostly Gnostic philosopher, Justin Martyr, was a devoted follower of Plato and incorporated many of his teachings into Christianity in the 2nd century AD, including the concept of the immortality of the soul. He added that not only was the soul free of the past and perfected by leaving the body, but that it would live in heaven. And so paganism and Satan's first lie, you won't really die, began to slowly but inexorably creep into some forms of Christianity. The creep of paganism continued into Christianity as the pagan Greek belief in the fields of Asphodel a place between heaven and hell, became known as limbo. This concept, found nowhere in the Bible, was supposedly the place that innocent but unbaptized babies went, or the location of all those saved before the death of Jesus. Christians under pagan influence even went so far as to apply Satan's lie, "You won't really die, to Jesus himself and claimed that while he was dead, he visited limbo and set free the patriarchs. Now you won't find that anywhere in the Bible. Having reached over into Greek mythology to incorporate limbo, Christianity then reached out to ancient Persia to include the Zoroastrian belief in purgatory a place where dead souls could be purified by burning until they were righteous enough to achieve heaven. Once again, without a word of Scripture to justify it. Having mixed all these together, Christianity ended up with an immortal soul that could progress from humanity to limbo to purgatory before finally reaching heaven, a process not dissimilar to many versions of reincarnation. Clearly, there is tremendous confusion existing in our world today on the issue of what happens when a person dies. And by the acceptance of tradition, we have ended up very far from what the Bible teaches on this important subject. Sharissa, let's take some time to read what the Bible actually says. Maybe we should begin by asking the simple yet most obvious question, is humanity naturally mortal or naturally immortal?
1: That is a very good place for us to start because what a what a variety of views we have on this very important subject which affects every single person on the planet. So look, we have, just before we go to the Bible to answer this question, I want to remind you we're live and we have a free offer connected with each presentation tonight. It's this booklet right here called Life After Death. And if you'd like to obtain your free copy, just text the word NEXT to the number on your screen, 0428 386. All right, Lyle, so... Here's the question, does the Bible teach that, the, that humanity is naturally mortal or naturally immortal? Shall we go?
0: Yes, let's <laughs> dig into the Bible. Let's find out what it says. I think there's a passage there from the book of Job. Is that so?
1: Yes. Job chapter 4, verse 17. Here the Bible says, shall mortal man be more just than God? So I guess the question here, we know that people die, yes. but what about the soul?
0: Okay, that's right. So, you know, the Bible says, shall mortal man. We, we, we know that as human beings, we are mortal. Mortal simply means subject to death. And so, you know, we read this passage here, you know, shall mortal man be more, you know, just than God. And the Bible describes humanity as being subject to death. We get that. We know that. We've been to lots of funerals. Right. But the big question that comes in is what does the Bible teach in relationship to the soul? Is the soul immortal or is the soul mortal. Let's find out what the Bible says. What have you got for us there? I
1: got, I got what the Bible says here on this subject. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse four says, behold, all souls are mine as the soul of the father. So also the soul of the son is mine. The soul that sins, it shall die. Interesting. When the son has done that, which is lawful and right and has kept all my statutes and has done them, he shall surely live. The soul that sins, it shall die. And uh, the son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son.
0: Okay, and there's a number of places in the Bible where we could read exactly the same thing. And so often when I read these passages, it becomes quite a shock to people who have always just assumed the immortality of the soul. Now, there's another passage there, Revelation chapter 16, I think it was. Why don't you read that one for us?
1: Revelation 16, verse 3 says, The second angel poured out... His vial upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. That was pretty clear.
0: It is very <laughs> clear. Okay, so we've got we're clearly we've got some things here that we need to learn about the soul. Mm-hmm. Um, and what we're going to do as we go through this Bible study is to actually find out, you know, what actually does the what does the Bible say that the soul is? Because clearly the, the soul is not immortal. The mm-hmm. Bible says the soul that sins, it will die. Plain and simple.
1: Yes, this is very important. And by the way, I've got a fun fact here for you. Okay. Uh, The words soul and spirit are mentioned over 1,700 times in the Bible and not once are they referred to as being immortal.
0: Okay, so that's a lot of opportunities that God has right here Mm -hmm. to be able to describe the soul as being immortal. And in not one of them does it say that the soul is immortal.
1: That's right. Not a single one. It's pretty powerful um, argument right there. So, look, we're going to go take a quick break and we want to check in to make sure our listeners have an opportunity to yes, ask we do. you questions. Yes, we do. I get the privilege to sit here, but they have questions. So, so let's
0: see. What have we got coming through? This have, is live, guys, so send your yeah, questions through.
1: Please, make the most of the chat box uh, function if you're watching on our Facebook live stream, website, YouTube channel. This one's coming to us from Lawson. And it's a good question. Was the resurrection plagiarized from reincarnation?
0: No. No. No, the resurrection predates pre-incarnation. Uh, the, and reincarnation is not a resurrection anyway because reincarnation is based on the concept that you never die. Now, you can't have a resurrection unless you're dead,
1: mm-hmm.
0: okay? Because you, you know, what, what's the point of a resurrection for a living person? That, that, that makes no sense. So reincarnation works a little bit like this. The moment you die, you continue to live in another body. Now, some versions of reincarnation will have a period of time where you sort of float around in the, in the in the ether until you inhabit another body. Other versions of it, you simply move from one to the other. It's not a resurrection, it's a transfer from one place to another.
1: Excellent. Now I have a question from someone that came in the back end of our uh, Facebook page on the end.digital. Lyle, red, this is from the previous presentation, so we're chopping and changing a bit. 2 Peter 3.10. You must I have did. read this in your last yes. presentation. And inferred that it was about the moment Jesus returns and his second coming. It does say the day of the Lord, but I've heard that the day of the Lord refers to a period of time when God is judging the earth.
0: Okay, so this is a really interesting one. And I want to encourage all of our listeners, just go by what the Bible says, okay? It's not about what I infer or anybody else, all right? Let's just go by what the Bible says. The Bible says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. Okay. I've had people who have come to me with and, and desperately, desperately tried to work, you know, the, uh, the secret rapture somewhere into this passage. And some of, them have, some of the, the theories have gone like this. The day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. And then there's a seven year gap. And then in the which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. Well, actually, I didn't read those words anywhere in that passage. Did you? No. Uh, others have come here, yeah, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night. But the day of the Lord is a really long period of time. In fact, it's seven years long. Does the passage say that? It didn't. So I'm not inferring anything. I'm just reading what the Bible says. So don't blame me for what the Bible says. The Bible says the day of the Lord. That's the day when Jesus comes back. And that's very clear because it says in that day,
1: mm-hmm.
0: he will come like a thief in the night unexpectedly. And it goes on, without a break, in that day, the heavens will pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. This day of the Lord is not a long period of judgment or seven years of tribulation or anything like that. This is the day that Jesus returns.
1: Okay. Well, I think that's that's a good answer there. Um, can we go back to the Bible study? Okay, let's go back to our because, Bible study. Uh, I'm sure they've got lots of questions. Yes,
0: yes. Questions um, becoming thick and fast.
1: Okay, so... The, do- the soul dies. Yes, We've that's right. We've established that, established that so far.
0: Absolutely clear.
1: We can see that, but what about the spirit? Yes. Okay, because doesn't that go back to God? And I have some Bible verses here. Go for it. Um, here's a verse from Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 7. And I'm interested to know how you answer this one. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was, and the Spirit shall return unto God who gave it.
0: Okay, there you go. All right, so there's right, a the spirit, goes the spirit goes back to God. That's yeah. very, very clear. All right, so we've talked about the soul, now let's talk about the spirit. We need to find out what is the spirit, because in understanding what the spirit is, it's actually going to help us to understand what the soul is. Mm-hmm. And to understand what the spirit is, one of the easiest ways of understanding that is to understand whereabouts the spirit lives. Well, the spirit exists, I should say, in your body. Any guesses as to where it might be? I'm going to show you a passage that might surprise you. Um, Job, I think you've got another verse there. I gave you another verse, Um, Job.
1: Job 27, verse 3 says, All the while my breath is in me and the spirit of God is in my nostrils.
0: There you go. So does that mean that you have a ghost in your nose, Carissa? (laughs) No. No, the word spirit comes from the, the, the Greek word pneuma, from which we have pneumatic. From which we have the word air. It means, simply means air or breath, the breath of life. Oh. And so, when God gives the breath of life to us, we're alive. When He removes the breath of life, we're dead. It's that simple. The breath of life is not a conscious entity. It's simply the breath of life that God gives us, gives to us as a gift at uh, at the time of creation and removes when we die.
1: So, and we don't go anywhere.
0: Well, we'll find out as we go through this study. But there's more that we can look at on this. In fact, we've got some other verses here. Okay. Um, And so why don't we go to Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, Charissa, if we can head over there because it's going to help us to understand how human beings were created. This will help us to understand the body, Mm -hmm. the soul, and the spirit. All right. Genesis chapter 2.
1: Genesis chapter 2. Here the Bible says in verse 7. God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul.
0: Okay, so this is a very simple formula that we have right here. The Bible says that God forms man out of dirt. That's not hard to understand. You take a body and as a dead body, it returns to dirt. We are made of dirt and water. That's, that's it. So he forms man out of dirt, the dust of the ground, then he breathes, he gives the breath of life, the spirit, gives the human spirit, gives that breath of life. And at that moment, the man becomes a living soul. So if you want to know what a living soul is, a living soul is simply a person. That's why the Bible says that there were eight souls saved in the ark. It wasn't eight ghosts saved in the ark. There was Noah, his wife, his three sons and their wives. That were, those were the people that were saved in the ark. The soul is simply a reference to a person, which is why the Bible says the soul that sins, it will die.
1: So you're a soul?
0: Yes, I'm a soul. And I am a, soul. a, I'm, I'm a living okay. soul. We're all
1: souls. Yes. According to the Bible.
0: That's exactly right.
1: That's what you're saying. So, all right, what about Psalm 104? Yes. Verses 29 to 30. It says, you hide your face, they are troubled. You take away their breath they die and return to dust you send forth your spirit they are created
0: okay so this is a really great example right here of what we've just been talking about it's kind of written in reverse you know because the bible says you know god removes their breath what happens they die but then he gives the gives his breath the breath of life the spirit and what happens they're back alive again resurrection takes place that's how god recreates human beings
1: all right, I get, I get what you're trying to say here, Lyle. Is uh-huh. there a way you could help me visualise this? Just, I mean... Okay, so we're
0: sitting under a uh, very bright light bulb yeah, right now. Yeah, we are. And uh, you've got one shining in your face. I've got one. Sh- it's, it's the privilege of being able to be in a studio. We have, you know, some very, very nice lighting that has been set up here. And I want you to think about it this way. Think about a light bulb. A light bulb, for it to have life, produce light needs two, two things. First of all, you've got to have a light bulb or an LED or whatever it is that is shining on us at this moment. First of all, you've got to have the light bulb. Then you need to add electricity. When you put the two together, you have life. You have light. And it's like that. You have a body, you add the breath of life, and you have a living soul. Separate the two and you've got death. You've got nothing. It's all over.
1: I really, I really appreciate the visuals because I'm a visual thinker, and that I can see it <laughs>
0: when
1: you put it like <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, it's
0: kind of shining on us right now in the studio, so. That's right. Yeah.
1: All right. Well, Lyle, we're going to put a pause here because I want to take some check, questions. Field the questions. See yes. what's coming through. Send them here. through, guys. Um, we've got.
0: And by the way, just while Sharis uh, is looking for the next questions, hit the subscribe button. Particularly if you're watching on YouTube, we would love you to hit the subscribe button because you can share these messages with so many other people just by subscribing and liking it. Absolutely. Let's make this thing go viral.
1: Oh, why not? another virus <laughs>
0: okay
1: so uh, we have a comment coming from philip and actually philip emailed us at the n.digital thanks for your email philip good to have you watching with us from sydney i believe philip asks burial or cremation
0: um okay so the bible says that we return to dust and whether you are buried or cremated you return to dust cremation is a faster way of getting to dust burial is a slower way the end result is the same. God is not limited by having a body and needing to have a body to be able to perform a, a resurrection. If God was limited by that, there would be very few people who would ever be resurrected. We don't serve a God who is, you know, powerless. We serve a God who is eminently power, powerful. He has, he has a record of you and of me, a DNA code. I'm sure he has it you know uh, saved somewhere in the cloud. <laughs> Ready to remake us when the time comes.
1: He's got a good memory. Yes. He won't forget us. That's, That's right. I like that. All right. Well, this one's from Peter Ansel. He's watching us on YouTube. Good to have you, Peter. What uh, what does Genesis 35, 18 mean?
0: Okay. Genesis chapter 35, verse 18. I, I have no, no idea because I don't know that passage. Let's go there. Let's find out. Genesis 35 and Verse, verse 18. 18. Okay, the Bible says, And it came to pass, as her soul was departing, for she had died, that she called his name Benoni, for his father called him Benjamin. Mm, That's a, a really good one. Absolutely. What and that? It, what you've got here is that the soul departs when the person departs because the soul refers to the person. Yeah. So as the person was departing, as uh, Rachel, yeah, it was Rachel here, as Rachel was departing in death, her last In her last words, she names her son and calls him Benoni. Well, he comes to be known as Benjamin. And so this verse is very easy to understand depending on the preconceived idea that you come to the verse with. If you come to the preconceived idea of Plato, then you're going to assume that there is a ghost that is floating away as she dies. If you come with a preconceived understanding of Scripture, you're going to understand that the person is going As the person dies, the person... We often talk about the departed, Mm -hmm. those who have left us. That's the kind of language that we have here in Genesis chapter 35. Very good question, by the way. I'm glad you asked.
1: Excellent question. I think we will go back to our study. Yes. Because I want to ask you a couple more questions and then I'm going to come back.
0: There's a lot of questions we could dig out of this one. It's such
1: an important subject. It
0: is. It is.
1: All right. So according to most funerals that I've been to, shouldn't King David... Be in heaven.
0: Okay, so the Bible says that King David was a righteous man, uh, a man after God's own heart. Now, we know that he did some sins, and we know that he did some sins probably worse than any of us have ever committed. But he was a man who found grace, Mm -hmm. and he experienced grace in his life. He received forgiveness for his sins and was called a man after God's own heart, becomes a type, a symbol of Jesus Christ, and becomes an ancestor of Jesus. And so we know that David dies as a saved man. All right. So then if you were to go to David's, King David's funeral, what would you expect the preacher to say in relationship to King David? Being that he's in the Bible, he's mentioned more times in the Bible than anybody else other than Jesus. Yeah. What would you expect the preacher to say? Well, let's see what the preacher says. And let's go over to the book of Acts. In fact, I've got it here from Acts chapter 2 and verse 34. I hope you're writing these verses down. You need to check out for yourself what the Bible says. Yeah. Let me read it for you. The Bible tells us where David is not. And it's very clear. Yes. The Bible says, for David is not ascended into heaven. He's not there.
1: There's just no way you can say anything differently on that, is there? It's just kind of It's dumb. pretty
0: black and white. Okay. David is not in heaven. Mm-hmm. So if David is not in heaven, then where is David? Well, in verse 29, the Bible says, David is both dead and buried, and his grave is with us to this day. You see, this is the teaching of the apostles. Mm-hmm. The apostles taught that you rested in the grave after you died until the resurrection that would happen at the moment that Jesus returns.
1: Okay. So when does David receive his reward then?
0: Okay, once again, the Bible is really clear on this. Uh, Go to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27 where it says, For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And notice the next word. The next word is important. It's the word then. Mm -hmm. Then he shall reward every man according to his works. Notice the Bible says that no one receives any reward until the return of Jesus Christ. Key word is then.
1: All right. Well, when do the wicked receive their reward?
0: Yeah, sure. Okay. So I think you've got a, a, a Bible verse there you want me to ready to go one? for us. Yeah, right. why not? Well,
1: Second Peter chapter 2, verse 9 says, The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished.
0: Okay, so th- let's just work our way through this. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the Bible says, Um, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. Praise God for that. That's good news, right? We're not left here on our own to fight the devil by ourselves. But then it says, and there are a couple of key words here. The next word is, and to reserve. Okay, to set aside, to reserve the unjust, that's the wicked, unto, that's future tense, the day of judgment, to be punished. So the wicked, the Bible says, are reserved unto the day of judgment to be punished. In other words, they're not being punished right now. They've been set aside, reserved somewhere. The question is, where? And Sharissa, there's a great passage. uh, We read it earlier. Let's read it again from John chapter 5. Why don't you read that one for us? Yes. John chapter 5 and uh, verse 28 and 29.
1: Yeah, you're right. I've got it highlighted in my Bible. Must be a good one. It says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth, those who have done good to the resurrection of life, and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation.
0: Well Jesus tells you exactly where both the righteous and the wicked are, but particularly here, the wicked, we're talking about the wicked, where they are reserved unto the day of judgment to be punished. The Bible says that when Jesus, you know, marvel not at this, the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves. All are in the graves waiting for the return of Jesus.
1: All right. I hope you're enjoying this as much as I am. And if you would like to obtain like a, something on paper so that you can check over all the things that the Bible says and maybe some added details, I want to remind you tonight's free offer is one you will want to get your hands on. Simply text the word NEXT to the number on your screen, 0428 833 386. Now, Lyle, we're going to take some more questions. Yes, Because actually we've got a lot of questions. Good. Um, This is one that came through the back end of our uh, Facebook page and it says it's from a viewer. I would like to hear more regarding the idea of hell. So many denominations of Christianity focus on the fact that there is a hell, a place where the wicked remain for eternity. Where does this concept come from? If your interpretation of the Bible shows no description of this, is this another uh, deception similar to what you walked us through regarding a silent rapture?
0: Okay, so here's here's, here's what you've got to do. If you want to be free from deception, you need to understand what the Bible says you need to go to the Bible. Here's what we're going to do on Friday evening. We're going to take up this particular subject.
1: Oh, really? Yes. We're going to take up the subject
0: and you can bombard us with as many questions as you like. It's a subject that probably probably is the single most controversial subject that there is anywhere in Christianity. More people have become atheists because of this subject than any other. You'll find those who say, oh, there's no such thing as hell. And you'll find others that will say, well, you know, God creates some people just so that he can burn them. Mm. Well, we're going to find out what does the Bible say on this subject, and you are going to be shocked and surprised because what we're going to do is we're going to sweep away all of the decades of tradition and just go with the Bible.
1: That's Friday night? That's Friday night. Friday night.
0: Eight o'clock. Don't miss it. I'll be here. You will.
1: (laughs) I will. God willing. (laughs) Praise God. God. All right, so we're going to go to some here. This one's from Courtney on Facebook. Maybe you can just clarify again for everybody. So do we have a soul or are we a living soul? Just a clarifying.
0: We are a living soul. This is why you have a thing called SOS. You know what that means? It means save our souls. Mm. Okay, so SOS would be a little bit irrelevant if it was just like, well, I'm just going to send out you know a, a message here to the uh, first responders to come and save my soul if the soul was immortal.
1: That's a really, I've never thought about this before. but that's No, when I send
0: out thought. an SOS, I want, me to be saved we are a living soul that's what well that's what a soul is a soul is us
1: all right kelly also on facebook any comments on those who believe they have died and come back from heaven like what if people go to heaven when they die
0: okay so say
1: they they come back
0: sure yeah sure um and sometimes you do have people who have have these experiences you know like this and so forth Mm -hmm. uh yeah, there's some really important Bible verses that we could look at in relationship to this one. In fact, I've got one coming up. Let's. Let, why don't we go there right now? Okay. And this one comes from Ecclesiastes. Yep. Um, you've got it on your screen there. Yes, so Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 5 through 10. Let's let's read what the sure. Bible says.
1: Okay, I'm reading. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward. Also their love, their hatred and their envy have now perished. Nevermore will they have a share in anything done under the sun. There is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom In the grave.
0: Okay, so the Bible is very, very clear in what it says right here. In fact, this is a passage where it almost seems like God would know the kind of deceptions that would come in our day, and so he gave us a passage that was as clear as possible so that we couldn't possibly get it wrong. Let's go through it, break that down, and then I'm going to show you another passage. Okay, the living know that they will die. We all do. The dead know nothing. That's clear. They have no more reward. Also, their love, their hatred, their envy is now perished. Nevermore will they share in anything done under the sun. Okay, so the Bible is really clear on this. Mm -hmm. If a person has died, they haven't gone to heaven and come back to this earth because they will never have anything to do forever with anything that is done under the sun. That's what the Bible says. There is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave. In fact, in Job chapter seven, it says this uh, verse nine, as the cloud is consumed and vanishes away, so he that goes down to the grave will come up no more. He shall return no more to his house house, neither shall his place know him. The Bible is crystal clear on this. Now, we do have people who have what we call near-death experiences, and I've had many people talk to me about the near-death experiences that they have had. There is a reason why we call them a near-death experience.
1: Because it's not death? That's right. Okay. It's near.
0: It's near. And if it was actual death, they would not be here talking to us about that. And so, you know, in a near death experience there's a whole bunch of different things that are going on. There is, you know, as the body is on the very very edge of being dead, you know, the heart stops beating, the blood stops flowing, the you know, the medical staff are frantically working to bring the person back from that particular condition. All all kinds of drugs, natural drugs within the body as the body relaxes are just released into the bloodstream and all kinds of events can take place. I've had friends who have had exactly the same experience, you know, of going down the tunnel and seeing the bright light and meeting with uh, family and friends and so forth, had that exact same experience through the use of hallucinogenic, hallucinogenic drugs mm. without having a near-death experience. So there's probably a lot of different uh, explanations for near-death experiences. They are real, they are happen, but they do not describe what the Bible says. Oh. We, need to be, we need to go by what the Bible says because that's where the truth is.
1: So not our experience.
0: You can never trust your own experience on these kinds of issues. The Bible says there is a way that feels right to a man, but the end thereof is death.
1: Seems right. Well, um, maybe just two more here, then I want to take you back there. Okay, all right. Because this one maybe rapid fire, Lyle. Yep. Why does God only resurrect some good people from Dante? And good to have you, Dante. We're glad you're watching.
0: Why does God only resurrect some good people? That's God, what the question God Okay, so the question the, the answer is very simple. God will resurrect everybody who has died who is covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's the simple answer. Every person who is covered by the blood of Jesus will be resurrected.
1: All right. Tilly Trotter on 62 on YouTube asks, "Thank you for watching. So who is in heaven now?"
0: Yeah, that's a really good question. And we, whoa, uh, yeah, how, much, how much time do you want me to spend on this one? We not right. got too much time. <laughs> so the Bible talks about Enoch. Yes. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and God took him to heaven. The Bible talks about Elijah. The Bible says that God came down in a fiery chariot and took Elijah to heaven. The Bible speaks about Moses. And in the book of Jude, it describes the resurrection of Moses. It describes God coming down after Moses died to resurrect Moses and take Moses to heaven. So those are three people that we know are in heaven right now, apart from you know, God and the angels and so forth, etc. Okay,
1: I'm going to slip in one that's slightly off topic, but it's a very important one to one of our viewers.
0: Okay. Um,
1: my question is about the mark of the beast, and they said it's yes. been plaguing them. Is it spiritual or physical? And if it's spiritual, then why buying or selling? How will a person... Uh, if you're selling or buying, no. if you have the mark
0: or not. Okay, this is off topic, but I'll address it very quickly from Revelation chapter 13. That's where you'll find out about the mark of the beast. And what you need to do is simply look for the context of what the Bible is talking about. So Revelation chapter 13, notice what it says if you go to verse 3. In verse 3 it says, I saw one of his heads, as it were, wounded to death. His deadly wound was healed. All the world wondered after the beast. They worshipped the dragon which gave power to the beast and they worshipped the beast saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to make war with him? Notice here you've got the issue of worship. It's repeated twice. And then you have wondered as well. Verse 8, all that live upon the earth shall worship him. Go down to, let me see, verse 12. He exercises all the power of the first beast before him and forces the earth and those which live therein to worship the first beast. Verse 15 he had power to give life to the image of the beast, that the image of the beast would both speak and force as many as would not worship the image of the beast to be killed. The issue of worship is repeated five times in 12 verses. It's very, very clear that the mark of the beast is all about worship.
1: Not the vaccine.
0: It's not the vaccine. Okay. No. It's
1: good just clarifying.
0: <laughs> it is not the vaccine. The issue with the mark of the beast is worship. It is not technology. Because technology changes. When I first started to study this as a kid, everyone was saying the mark of the beast was the barcode. The technology changed then they said it was a computer chip. Then the technology changed and we had, you know, uh, digital fingerprints and digital iris scans. And they said it would be that. Well, sorry, I've already got a fingerprint and I've already got an iris in my eye. Does that mean I already have the mark of the beast? You know, we are so far beyond technologically computer chips. Mm. I don't understand why, why Christians are still talking about computer chips technology will be used to enforce the mark of the beast, which is all about worship. Now, if you want to know exactly what the beast is, exactly what the image of the beast is, exactly what the mark of the beast is, then if you go to the end.digital, the end.digital website, okay? So go to the end.digital. Uh, There is a tab there, you can click on it. There is a whole series of Bible studies that I've I've put together called The Prophetic Code and you can do that course entirely for free. So go to the n.digital and click on The Prophetic Code and you can do that course entirely for free.
1: All right. Thank you, Lyle. So we better get back to our Bible study. Um, Then I might check back and see if there's any other questions. Yes, please send
0: send some more questions through. Um, Send some through.
1: As you're sending in your final questions that we will get through in record time tonight, just had a glance at the clock. What does the Bible say that death is like, Lyle?
0: What does the Bible say death is like? Let's go to uh, John chapter 11. There's a great passage here that uh, we can spend a little bit of time on. Um, if we've got time, that is, it's about the death of Lazarus. We already referenced it earlier. Uh, The Bible says in verse 11, this is chapter 11, verse 11, these things said he, and after that he said, our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go so that I can wake him out of his sleep. His disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will do well. Howbeit Jesus spoke of his death. Being dead is like having a really sound sleep, you know, that really sound, refreshing sleep. Dead to the world. That's it. But they thought that he had spoken of taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. So this is a great story because you come down further. We referenced this earlier. Earlier, Jesus goes to the home of Mary and Martha, Lazarus's. Um, two sisters, and he arrives there four days after Lazarus died. And Martha comes out and she's heartbroken. And she says in verse 21, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even, even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it to you. Jesus said, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is Jesus comforting somebody who is bereaved. And Jesus doesn't say, look, your brother's in a better place. Your brother's in heaven. Your brother's, you know, uh, with God face to face right now. Jesus doesn't say those things because that's not where Lazarus is. Jesus comforts her in the promise of the resurrection. And she's like, yeah. I, and Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This was the Jewish teaching on 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 the resurrection, and this is the teaching that Jesus taught, that there will be a resurrection at the last day. Of course, Jesus says, I'm the resurrection and the life, and then, of course, he goes to the tomb of Lazarus, and he says, Lazarus, come out. He doesn't say, Lazarus, come down. Imagine how cruel that would be to drag him out of heaven. And he doesn't say, Lazarus, come up, because Lazarus wasn't down anywhere where he could come up. Lazarus is in a tomb in a cave right in front of him. He says, Lazarus, come out. Death is like sleep.
1: All right. Um, quick quick question from a viewer. Yes. Stacy, and she's watching from, she watches from the United States. Okay. So she sent it in the back end because she wants to wake up and watch this. Yes. Why will the tribes of the earth mourn?
0: Because they're lost. That's the very sad reality. There can be no other answer to that question. Now, if this question is not here, I'm going to ask a question. Am I allowed to ask a question?
1: Oh, Okay, go for it.
0: What about the thief on the cross?
1: I was about to ask the question. Are you all, I,
0: Did <laughs> thought, somebody send it through yet?
1: No, but I was thinking we need to talk about that because he said, well, Jesus said to I'll him. I'll read you what he said. Okay, you tell
0: us. Jesus said to him, the thief on the cross, truly I say unto you, today shall you be with me in paradise. So
1: that sounds like he went to heaven that day, Lyle.
0: It does. So how do you explain With that? Jesus, right? Yeah. It says, surely or truly I say unto you today, you shall be with me in paradise. Here's the interesting thing about the New Testament that you might not know. The New Testament was written in Greek without any punctuation mark. And the way that translators put the punctuation marks into it in English is by looking at context. And so you can place the punctuation mark in two different places. We have to find out from the context which place the punctuation mark should be in. So it could work like this. Truly I say unto thee, punk, comma, today you will be with me in paradise. If you place the comma there, then the thief is going to be with Jesus in paradise that day. All right. Or it could go like this. Move the comma by one word. Truly I say unto you today, you will be with me in paradise. Changes everything entirely. It does now Jesus is giving the thief the guarantee there's a future time when he will be with him in paradise well the question is what does the context tell us let me show you what the context is if you go to John the gospel of John and John chapter 20 uh, this is after Jesus has resurrected from the dead on Sunday morning so three days later uh, he meets with Mary and Jesus said to her Mary this is verse 16. She turned herself and said and "said to him, Rabbi, which is to say, Master. And Jesus said to her, do not touch me or touch me not, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. This is three days later. Jesus died on Friday. Three days later, Jesus says, I haven't been to heaven yet. Don't touch me. I haven't been there yet. So it's impossible for the comet to come before the word today. It has to come after the word today. Very simple question, very simple answer.
1: Grammar really matters. It does. Changes everything. All right, so, Lyle, two quick questions. Yes. And then we're going to run to a finish. Okay. So this one's coming from Karina. She's watching on Facebook and she asks, can you please advise how to explain to friends what's happening when they believe their loved ones have come back to speak with them?
0: Okay, well, very simply, if your friends are open to what the Bible says. My recommendation would be to simply take them to a passage, and there are many of them, but a good example would be, and you can write this one down, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 5 through 10, and read what the Bible says. And then really it's up to them. It's it's their choice as to whether they accept what the Bible says or not. God is never going to force us. Mm
1: -hmm. Last question uh, from Junior, watching on YouTube. Great presentation, but who are the ones who came up from the graves when Christ was resurrected and they appeared to all people around the temple?
0: Yeah, really good question. Uh, You'll find that in the book of Matthew because they vanish. So you've got a resurrection that takes place right here. They vanish. And you find that in Matthew uh, chapter 27, uh, verse 51, or it was verse 50 when Jesus Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost and behold, the veil of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom and the quaked. or there was an earthquake and the rocks were broken and the graves were open and many of the bodies which, and many of the bodies of the saints which slept arose. Notice where they are coming from. They're not coming down out of heaven. They are being resurrected from their graves from where the Bible says they were sleeping in their graves. And you'll find this, from one end of the Bible to the other, the concept of sleeping in the grave. And came out of the graves after his resurrection, went into the holy city and appeared unto many. And then they're never mentioned again. Now you can imagine if this group of people had stayed here on this earth, they would be very famous. So where did they go? Well, Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians. Let's flick over to Ephesians very quickly. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, wherefore he says, when he ascended on high, he led a multitude of captives and gave gifts unto men. So the Bible says that when Jesus ascended into heaven after his resurrection, that he led a multitude of captives. So that's where they went. They went back. So those are the others. Who went, really so you've got Moses, you've got Elijah, you've got Enoch, and you've got this particular group right here who ascended to heaven with Jesus at the time of his death. They're kind of like first fruits, like a sample. It's like, okay, this is what the big resurrection at the end of time is going to be like. I'll give you a sample.
1: Well, Lyle, guess what? We have come to the end of oh, time. Oh, the time went so fast. <laughs> We've come to the end of time tonight, and look, as we close out, I'm going to let Lyle have the last word tonight, but I just want to remind all of you that we have this free offer connected with tonight's presentation, and it's you will want to get your hands on it to read more, to study more about what the Bible has to say about this subject. It's called Life After Death. Simply text the word NEXT onto the number on your screen, 0428 386. Tomorrow night, we are back here again at 8 p.m. And I can't remember what tomorrow night's on, but it's going to be good. I think it's a 1,000 years to the end or something.
0: Yes, it is indeed. Oh, you are right. absolutely correct.
1: I got it right. Can't believe it. And so, look, share this presentation with your friends. It's not too late for them to join us in this series. Like our page. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Lyle, what would you like to leave our listeners with?
0: Okay. So, don't forget, join us tomorrow evening for a thousand years to the end. End of time. We need to find out the answer to this one because the Bible speaks about a 1,000-year period. Is it really a 1,000 years away? When does that period begin? What's it all about? Does it happen before or after the end of time? How can you have a time period after the end of time? We're going to answer all of those questions. That's tomorrow night's subject. But right now, I have a final thought to leave with you all. And this comes from the words of Paul. And it comes from Paul just before he died. He was executed. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, he's writing to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 6. These are words of courage right here. It says, For I am now ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. And not to me only, but unto all those that love his appearing. The Bible talks about Paul speaks about the day when Jesus returns and he receives a crown of righteousness. And not only himself, but every single other person who has been resurrected in righteousness. Friends, this is a day that we should all look forward to and we should make sure that we are ready so that when Jesus returns, if we have died before the return of Christ, that we have the promise of the resurrection right now. And you can be sure of that simply by giving your life to Jesus Christ. If you've never done that before, simply get on your knees and say a prayer or just close your eyes and communicate with Jesus. He will listen to you wherever you are and whatever you are doing and say, Jesus, I want you to take my life. I want you to make me completely yours. I want to make an entire surrender. I want you to come into my life. And I want you to take away my sin, forgive me of my sin and give me victory over my temptations. And Jesus will come into your life. You will be covered by the blood of Jesus. And you'll be ready so that you can have the same confidence right through your life that Paul had at the very end of his. Don't you want to have that experience? This media was brought to you by Audioverse